of the USFL Daily DFS show. As always, I'm your host, John Daigle, joined by friend in life, none other than Run the Sims, CEO Justin Freeman. And Justin, between the NFL draft, there's other football to talk about since <laughs> it is week three. And more importantly, I think we learned a lot in week two of USFL, so much so that yet again, the winning lineup was the one that basically faded the consensus takes and what we thought we were supposed to believe about USFL offenses. Exactly. And so I don't know how many times we're going to need to learn that lesson again and again each week for us to finally get it and start playing lineups accordingly. And, you know, what's, what's always interesting is sometimes there's not always a natural pivot point, but I thought we had some really good options to consider last week. Some guys we talked about like Maurice Alexander, Brian Scott, that was the stack you needed coming out of Philadelphia. They looked really good, but uh, yeah, you know, in, in terms of like the weekly rhythm here with USFL fitting in on draft week, I'm sure uh, a lot of, uh, a lot of folks have scattered uh, interests right this second. And maybe we could use that to our advantage, looking for a big hit here in week three. I have admittedly done so well the first two weeks in USFL, especially with your help and being up to date with injuries and projections to the minute of kickoffs that I am playing the most I've played yet in week three. And I made that decision early in the week before diving into NFL draft content and then thought, Oh no, uh, hmm. I'm going to need a lot of help run the Sims this week since there's so much going on behind the scenes, but I'm excited to talk about it. And as we move along here, Justin, I actually want to, ask you a question that I don't know yet either. Do you have a good feel? Do you understand the schedule of when we get the final injury report? I know they're allowed to make maneuvers up until 30 minutes to kick off, but so far we've only received a tweet on injury reports Tuesday and Wednesday, and then have yet to get their final report as of Friday afternoon. Are we expecting that overnight Friday? So the league has been extraordinarily inconsistent here. That's my issue, yes. There is a reason why you are confused, because I'm confused too. As a matter of fact, I've been trying to get a a bug in the ear of anyone I can. I'm even tagging uh, officials, moderators on the USFL Discord to say, like, listen, we need constant injury reporting. I do think with the help of one of my internet buddies here, we have found a place where this might reside in the back end, and we may be able to tap into that. And uh, we actually confirmed that by uh, checking some of the sites. If you actually go to the team roster pages, it looks like we're getting the actual game day status info there sooner than we're getting it online anywhere else. Um, so if you go to like the Breakers web page, you'll actually be able to see that TJ Logan has a big O-U-T out this week uh, right next to his name. So we won't be seeing him. So there, like I've said in week one, this is a working man's game. Like you have to be able to come out and look for those edges. But the fact that those edges are out there is an extra fantastic thing for us. If you're consuming content about the USFL and not just blindly firing a lineup, you're already driving, drawing pretty live, I think, to get ahead of things. So we do have some injury news to talk about and uh, and react to. But there is a reason why it's so disorienting is because uh, they miss days all the time where they should be dropping injury reports and just simply are not. They've sort of set up a precedent for doing that via Twitter, and that's just been really hit or miss from one day to the next. That's why I'm so happy to be doing this show with you, though. It's because 
all my injury news that I thought was up to date. No, you dug even deeper and found out already that TJ Logan, who I have listed as just DMP midweek, you already know he's out. And that's so huge, especially because we saw the splits whenever he came off the field at first and which allowed then Jordan Ellis to come in and get all the touches basically in the second half. But we'll talk about that as we move along here. You are the one that's going to have updated injury. So I will allow you to start that off with every single matchup. And also for this week, kick the Friday night game to Saturday. So we not only have a four-game slate starting Saturday afternoon, but two two-game slates as well. So we'll stop halfway through and discuss our plays that we want to be overweight on and the two-game slates for both Saturday and Sunday too. But first up, we have the Tampa Bay Bandits kicking off against the Houston Gamblers, one of the more, if not the most, run-heavy team in the entire league in your neutral game script. We also saw questions continue to be answered further about Jordan Tiamu and if he's going to fare well in a non-gimmicky offense, as he did, like we've said time and time again, in the XFL for the St. Louis Battlehawks. So much so that Tiamu we saw last week got benched at times. And so now... Where do you stand in this game? Where do you stand on the Bandits' offense? Is this one we are trying to buy low on, or is this another situation where perhaps we take a chance on Houston's running game? Yeah, I think you're trying to make this game as easy as possible, and sometimes that means looking for reasons not to play guys instead of reasons to play them. Like, I mean, when we have eight quarterbacks theoretically to choose from in a given week, you're kind of looking for reasons to shrink your player pool down and help you make decisions. The fact that Jordan Tiamu has looked – relatively rough and frankly got benched for a portion of that game last week uh, is certainly enough reason for me to consider, you know, fading him in this matchup looks like a low total game. Um, And there's not necessarily like a locked in playmaker that, you know, to pair him with uh, in his receiving core. We saw, we we thought that might be Cheyenne O'Grady last week, um, but we saw what happened when they actually ran two tight ends. What, what happened in week one was Cheyenne O'Grady was the only active tight end on the roster. In week two, they brought up another tight end who helped take some of the load off of O'Grady there, which really just sort of diluted the entire offense. And so if there's not a guy you can hang your hat on, like a bona fide stack, then I'm really more interested in trying to find other places, you know, more shootout type games. Um, and then I think – uh, trying to build around guys with with a more consolidated target tree. To your point, yes, when Daquan Hampton got shoved on the active roster, remember he was inactive in week one, but he returned to make his debut in week two for the Bandits, and Cheyenne O'Grady, who ran 91% route rates in week one, plummeted to a 59% rate, terrible, in week two, whereas Hampton showed up and ran around on 51%, literally just an 8% decrease from the guy who did soak up the league's highest target share of any player in week one. And that clearly, like you said, cut into O'Grady's time. So that's definitely something to keep aware of. I also believe Jordan Lastly, who led the team in week two with a route on 90, 92% of their dropbacks, was cut midweek, correct? Yeah, he was. And uh, I don't really know how to read into that. Like, you, you try to work your way through logically, okay, how does a player get cut uh, in the middle of a season here in the USFL where they're so short of bodies? You know, did they find a better player that they liked more? Uh, did the guy simply not perform? Is he not getting enough playing time and chose to take his stuff and go home? Like, lastly, was a legitimate 1A in this offense. Um, 
in terms of how much he was being used. So his cut was a major, major surprise. Like he brings a strong NFL veteran presence. Uh, one of the more name brand wide receivers on this roster or in the entire league for that matter. So seeing him leave, I, I have lots of question marks about what that could mean. Obviously we saw them use John Franklin a lot last week. Uh, Franklin was used as a wildcat quarterback and then also as pretty much a full-time receiver out there as well. Like the guy who I think, uh, you know, I've, I think Derek Willies could get back in the picture this week uh, as he returns. Um, so I, I'm interested to see exactly how they choose to uh, navigate the active roster and whether they'll get Willies promoted back up this week. Uh, Keith Mumphrey, a guy who we may remember from the Texans, maybe he's getting healthier. Maybe that has something to do with how they were able to let Lastly go. Um, it's interesting. So we want to make sure we pay really close attention to the overnight reports about uh, roster statuses, not just game statuses, but who is promoted up to the active roster. Uh, it was actually John Franklin, to your point, who finished with the second most route run on the team last week, not to mention five carries. I think that makes them a very interesting play, both for two-game and four-game slates. Whether I play a quarterback, and I'm not, probably not going to end up playing a Tampa quarterback knowing they're splitting time, and really, we only really have three in the league to roster each and every week, which makes it a unique situation. But I do like John Franklin naked just to get all those touches. Also, do you have any read on the backfield situation? Because even though for those box score hunters who looked up, and I was watching this game live, so I'm aware, who looked up, B.G. Evans, we said our favorite running back play last week for all the right reasons, did end up yet again with 17 touches, uh, 65% backfield touch rate, but only two touches in the first half. And so, again, I was watching that game, and I thought, this is an absolute disaster, and then he got 15 touches in the third and fourth quarter. Do you know why that happened at all? Because it was Jawan Washington, not just like getting lucky, like Jawan Washington was in on every single down in the first half. I wonder if Emmons was hurt or dinged up or banged up. The problem is we don't have a uh, Josina Anderson to run it by here in these USFL games. We're, we're missing that sideline reporter action to, to give us that glimpse behind the curtain because it wasn't just that Emmons was limited. There was a about a quarter and a half there where he just simply was not on the field consecutively. Mm -hmm. It was entirely Jawan Washington and Perhaps it was schematic in a way because what we saw was really a three-quarterback system emerge in that offense. You had Te'amu uh, operating as sort of the lead dog. Brady White came in in sort of a benched period of time for Te'amu, and then John Franklin was running the Wildcat as as quarterback in that game for a significant portion of time too. So maybe it was as they were sticking with John Franklin and trying that experiment out that they had just built a package around Franklin and Washington to simplify things on their end. I don't know. Like uh, what was clear though, is down the stretch, they were more than happy to uh, continue feeding BJ Emmons passing game, running game. It didn't matter. He continued to be a big factor. And I think we're just going to see really fluky and unexplanatory things continue to happen in this league. And uh, we're just simply going to have to be okay with not knowing those answers. I'm going back to the BJ Emmons well again this week. I still think he sits, sets up nicely to be a good play for a team who continues to want to run the football, um, you know, is, is going to stick with it and targets their backs out of the backfield at a, a pretty decent clip. 
I admittedly tweeted good friend John Proctor, also pro DFS player, apologizing because I ended up winning all the mid to high stakes five-man contest on DraftKings because I had BJ Emmons and felt like I luck boxed. Like I now owe every one of those contest drinks because like that was not the intention to get three receptions in the second half and to depend on that. Like I absolutely backdoored my way into winning. And so thinking he may be low rostered, I like where your head's at. I like going back to him, hoping he was injured since that's what a lot of this is, just trying to sift through the tea leaves and then hoping. It's like the the most intricate DFS, even for only being four games that we've ever discussed. Uh, on the other side of the ball, though, I think it's important to talk about because we did buy into the Mark Thompson height, hype, knowing that he probably would not have great passing game usage, but I was banking on, I didn't mind banking on it, I was banking on the five-point bonus for over 100 yards, something that we probably won't see very often on DraftKings, but we knew we wanted to attack the... Birmingham rushing defense, which has played so poorly on the ground to open the season. And what happened was that Thompson almost got there and led the league with 69% backfield touch rate this following week. But the issue in rostering them now is that the gamblers backfield combined literally don't have a single target on the entire year. And so mm. we're two games into this. Maybe that's a fluke. But right now, I don't know if I can go back to the well in Thompson because that's what you're banking on then is him literally trying to get 100 yards. And like last week was the nut spot, honestly, to chase that. Man, I'm just seeing that. That's pretty crazy, honestly, isn't it? Um, yeah, that's uh, that's <laughs> if any team looks like they're successfully able to run the football, it looks like it is this team behind Mark Thompson. I could see wanting to sprinkle him in some lineups for sure again this week. Um, you know, Dalen Dawkins, if he's not going to be, um, you know, what we've seen is like some teams can support two running backs. We, we've seen that in New Orleans. Um, we've seen that even to some extent in Birmingham, a few other places where uh, Philadelphia, for that matter, where if, if one guy can be sort of the thunder and the other guy can be the lightning and, you know, pack, pack up some PPR points along the way, like they can both get there. And a passing game threat coming out of the backfield that's just simply going to be non-existent. So Mark Thompson looks like the only way you can sort of even tell yourself there's a route towards playing a Texans running back and a Texans running back, a Houston running back. Um, you know, but when we think about guys that can really make you pay in terms of not having them in your lineup, it is tougher for a Mark Thompson to do that because what he really does have to do is – have a multiple touchdown game or break the hundred yard bonus, both of which he's probably a pretty big dog to actually do. Um, so overall, you know, the gamblers offense is a pretty easy one to fade across the board. If you want to, um, we could talk about the, the pass catchers there, but the passing game volume is so limited. Um, it, it could be tough. Now, one injury we must talk about here for Houston is that backup quarterback Kenji Bahar is out uh, he will not be playing this game, which is a lot of clarity that I needed because I actually thought he was pretty live to have a 50-50 split uh, with Clayton Thorson or maybe even just take the entire game away from Thorson this week. We saw coming out of halftime last week, uh, Houston coach Kevin Sumlin was like, we're going to start with Kenji this half and see if we can get a little something going. And that was kind of going to be the the tide that turned things. 
what ended up happening was Kenji comes in and immediately gets his hand hurt. Like one of the first handful of plays that he's out there and Thorson comes back in and finishes the game. So it looked like Thorson mostly played a complete game, but I do not think that was the intent. But Bahar being out again with a hand injury really clears up the path to Thorson. I don't think I'll get there, but it is something to consider in terms of clearing things up for us. And we won't spend this much time on every game, but for two game slates, I think this Houston offense is really important to dissect because you mentioned Clayton Thorson, but take it beyond that because I don't know if you have it on your end. Has JoJo Ward been ruled active yet? Because remember, 50% target share in week one, but that was also without Tyler Simmons, who came back and made his debut and ran around on 100% of the team's dropbacks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What, what I do know is that um, JoJo Ward is not on the injury report. What I don't okay. know is whether he'll be called up and made active this week. Um, we're still trying to, like I said, get the get the rhythm there. But uh, if he is back in, you good chance to get some flop lag. I know some people played JoJo Ward last week thinking he was active and got uh, unpleasantly surprised. So good reason to go back to uh, the guy that broke some people's hearts last week. And playing Clayton Thorson. I would also play, whether it be two-game or four-game, Tyler Simmons and JoJo Ward together. Since it was Simmons who had 10 targets and a 30% target share last week, Ward with those nine targets and 50% target share in week one, just try to just try to divide, sit in the middle, middle your way out of there. Also, Mark Thompson for two-game slates, I just want to note 24% route rate in week one, all the way up to 51% last week. So although he hasn't seen a target yet, him or Dalen Dawkins haven't seen a target yet. Uh, we can maybe chase the routes for two game slates and just take a chance and let's see what happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But moving on, the issue with the two game slates and playing Clayton Thorson, Justin, is because this next game is not only going to be the highest roster on this slate, but the highest roster in the four game slate because we have the Birmingham Stallions versus the New Orleans Breakers. And it's important to note that the Birmingham Stallions have scored 28 and 33 points in their first two games. And then the Breakers have scored 23 and 34 points in their first two games. Uh, I expect both offenses to be highly lauded as well as highly rostered for all the right reasons. So let's just start with our New Orleans Breakers and talk about where we go from here, especially since we did see them release Chad Williams midweek. Yep, released Chad Williams, and now TJ Logan officially ruled out after a couple DMPs this week uh, and a foot injury. So if you were watching the Breakers game last week, you saw Logan miss the sort of garbage time mop-up duties there in that offense as uh, Jordan Ellis really just took over there um, and got some really cheap garbage carries um, down the stretch. So we will see Jordan Ellis there uh, as the lead dog. I'm sure the team will call up Larry Rose. Um, I've already got him projected this week, even though he's technically not activated yet. But what we saw is a breakout, right? Jonathan Adams was mm-hmm. the closest thing to looking like a real deal NFL player as we've seen so far, at least in terms of uh, guys with the ball skills, guys with the ball in their hand. Um and if you listen to Kyle Slaughter's pregame um, chats, he talked about how Jonathan Adams is the most athletic playmaker he's ever been around, period. And that's a pretty big uh, tip of the cap from a guy who's been around a lot of NFL situations like Kyle Slaughter has. I mean, he's really uh, been all over the map with the NFL. So <sighs> Adams is going to attract a lot of ownership this week. And so you got to ask yourself, do you want to go back to that well especially now that they've released Chad Williams, I'm more likely to 
maybe try to find a different way to get some leverage there. Why not think about playing um, somebody like uh, Johnny Dixon, somebody like Taewon Taylor, so that even if that passing game does succeed, maybe you don't need Jonathan Adams. I mean, if Jonathan Adams goes five catches for 75 yards, has a perfectly great game, uh, not a guy you need in your winning DFS lineup. Instead, get you know try to try to score the cheap touchdowns that emerge in this offense, and even uh, Sal Canella, uh, the tight end, would be a really great sort of vulture opportunity type of guy. Both the running backs are in good shape there, uh, so I really like a lot of the options there for the breakers. The, the Birmingham Stallions seem a little less sexy on paper. I, people don't seem as excited about playing them, despite the fact that they continue to find a way to get things done. So. Um, what are your thoughts on on Birmingham, New Orleans? Well, why do you believe people are not excited to play Birmingham since Jamar Smith continuously checks in? Well, assuming he's the starting quarterback now, I don't know if you have injuries there, um, but Jamar Smith continuously checks in as a rushing quarterback with upside, and really there are only two confident receivers to roster among them. Yeah, there's a, there's a really tight group there I, I think there's some hesitancy to buy in to this team for one reason or the next maybe it's the fact that jamar smith is a backup player being launched into a new role um and maybe it's just the way that they've scored they've looked a little dead at times um on some of their drives but uh you know to mention some of the injuries there is at least a, a minuscule quarterback controversy brewing there because Alex Magoo, it does look like probably will play. He's listed as probable um, now on the team's injury report. And he was the opening day starter. So mm -hmm. does he get Wally pipped uh, here and J Jamar Smith maintains control of the offense or could Magoo come in? Um, you know, what, what's an interesting play here is you think about Magoo, a guy who would probably be sub 1% owned, uh, give you a really interesting angle in some of the large field stuff to take advantage of if he can separate himself from the quarterbacks. Uh, he does have uh, legs of his own. Uh, we saw him complete a deep bomb to start the whole season uh, to Osiris Mitchell. So he's got a got an arm, can, can put it out there and make plays. You know, it was really kind of a shame that we didn't get to see more of him, but that's kind of an interesting angle. But in terms of uh, teams that we like to target, uh, we loved – consolidated target trees and we get that from Birmingham. So and knowing that on the other side of the ball, New Orleans is going to be the highest rostered offense, I would just make sure everyone, and I'm not saying not play them, I would just make sure as we've seen time and time again in USFL DFS, you got to have three stacks, right? You got to have three players with their quarterback, two isn't cutting it. And so I will say if I do that, since TJ Logan is out, like yes, Jordan Ellis is a very unique and confident way to get touchdown exposure exposure to the offense. But I also really don't mind, and maybe it's the most popular way. So when I say that it's actually what everyone's going to do anyhow, but I would want uh, Jonathan Adams, as you mentioned from Kyle Sloter, and then Sean Poindexter, who was second on the team in air yards, 86 to Jonathan Adams, 124. And then also my third would be Johnny Dixon, like you said, who also had two targets inside the five last week. So that's how I'm trying to soak up the three guys I, I want to score via the passing game in New Orleans offense. If not, maybe you can play like Jamar Smith, 
the two individuals you talked about with him at a stack and then run it back with Jordan Ellis on the other side of the ball. Um, and in the four-game slate, I don't know, how do you feel you've already said you've done the projections for Larry Rose in what we assume will be his debut. Um, how do you feel about him with the quarterback as well? Yeah, it, it, it's tough to know in terms of skill set how Ellis and Rose will be deployed. Um, what we saw when Logan was in the offense was TJ Logan was um, very much their preferred option in the passing game. Um, now, I don't know if that's because TJ Logan is just talent-wise the best guy out there or whether um, that's something that Jordan Ellis is just simply not very good at. So there is an upside case for Larry Rose to step into the TJ Logan role probably going to be significantly lower owned. I currently have Ellis projected for 14 and a half fantasy points and Larry Rose for 10 and a half. Uh, they're still in two very enviable positions there and being breakers running backs. And we've just seen them be uh, super involved. So yeah, I think, I think there's reason to go to either of them. Don't think I'd really be considering playing them both in the same lineup. Uh, so, so yeah, I think they're both in play. I like it. I like hating myself on Saturday evening, having Larry Rose with Sloter and two of the New Orleans receivers. I like that strategy a whole lot. So that's probably mm -hmm. direction I'll take. Let's go ahead and move on to Sunday because Sunday morning game, afternoon, whatever you want to call it, it is the Pittsburgh Maulers at the Michigan Panthers. And let's start with Lance Lenore talk because I'm curious where you think he checks in among lineups because we played him and we're overweight on him for all the right reasons. We even talked about it that with Jeff Bidette out, we expected Lenore, rather than trying to like chase Devin Ross or Joe Walker, we just assumed the guy in Lenore who already led the team with a 30% target share in week one, who led the team in routes run in week one, he would just take on even more. And that wasn't necessarily true, right? Nine targets, a 31% target share in week two. The issue is that Shea Patterson is so bad that this these excess targets and opportunities don't matter. Like four extra targets from Lenore, for Lenore from Patterson is equivalent to a, a half a target difference, right? It's just yeah. a coin flip whether he's going to catch yeah. it. And so the way I'm looking at it is I don't hate it, but I want to know where you think he comes in at because if he's going to be under-rostered, then I want to be overweight. If he's going to be overweight for the opportunity, I don't mind not having any of them. I think people will go back to Lance Lenore. I don't think he'll be quite as popular as last week. And some of it's going to depend on what we do get from the injury report in terms of Joe Walker, Ray Bolton, Jeff Bidette, three guys who all are 50-50 to play at this point. Um, and, and once we find out that you know some of them have been demoted down to practice squad, that really clears things up a bit. You mentioned this too, though, like despite the fact the target share is there, a, a Shea Patterson target is just not super valuable right this second. And the dude holds on to the ball for way too long. By the time he's throwing it up, it's desperation time. He's really trying to force it in there. Um, he looks really bad and he makes his offensive line look terrible, uh, to be quite honest. Um, and, and this game itself doesn't scream shootout. It's two of the least potent offenses in the league going against each other, a couple 0-2 teams. If you just wanted to completely X out all the players from this game and your player pool on a four-game slate, I could forgive you for that. I could also say uh, Pittsburgh Maulers make for a really strong play, uh, given the fact that Shea Patterson likes to hold on to it for so long. He has uh, got all the things you're looking for in a recipe that creates turnovers and sacks. And uh, so Maulers' defense, I think, is definitely in play. 
Interesting. That's the way I'm looking at it as well. Uh, what else about Pittsburgh offense? Sunday, we know, has a two-game slate, and I would imagine this one is not popping up as the sexiest matchup here. But I think this Jeff Fisher offense is so poor and that we know also what Pittsburgh wants to do that maybe even Groshek is like a good play, a gross play, but a good play, thinking that Pittsburgh is going to stay competitive, if not have a lead throughout this game and get to play the exact way they want to. Exactly. So this may be the script Kirby Wilson's been waiting for uh, for two straight weeks now. Um, yeah, Groshek is definitely a hold your nose and play him type of play. Uh, you don't anticipate this monster ceiling from him, but it was very encouraging to see him get more involved in the passing game, um, led the backfield in routes run well ahead of Madre London, a guy who we kind of thought would probably have that role in this offense. So it was good to see him show off a little bit of versatility and the Maulers really opened up the playbook in week two. I think if you had to give away a uh, most improved coach uh, award so far, Kirby Wilson's the guy because he took it on the chin in week one. I think he had this whole thought of like how he could win in the USFL and was proven wrong. And the feedback loop uh, gave him no other choice but to say, we got to do something different here. This is not going to work. And they went back to shotgun. They let Josh Love throw the ball all over the yard, and they looked really good, honestly, doing it. Um, just kind of too little too late for them there in Pittsburgh. But um, it'll be interesting to see if maybe they just open it up a little more right away. Saw Bailey Gaither pop off for a 100-yard day and a touchdown. Um, he just – he looked phenomenal. Um, so I, I don't think – Josh Love is completely out of the consideration for either the four or the two game slate. Um, nobody's going to want to touch this game, but uh, I think especially for the two gamer building around Josh Love, Bailey Gaither could make some sense. We got our eyes still on Jeff Thomas wide receiver for that game. Currently uh, demoted to practice squad uh, with a groin injury. He could be called up again this week too. Uh, that kind of dilutes things down a little bit, but it's probably Thomas and Gaither as your top two guys with Hardway mixed in there. Is there anyone before we move on from this game that you are certain you want to play in the, let's say, four-game slate now, since mm -hmm. I imagine it's going to go completely overlooked? I want a little bit of Cameron Scarlett uh, from the Michigan Panthers. Mm -hmm. He is a guy who's got the skill set that we're looking for in this type of event. He's utilized in the red zone. He's certainly utilized in the passing game. Uh, ran a route on well over 50% of the team's dropbacks last week. Um, he plays a little bit of slot receiver when his number's called there. If they get thin on bodies, they'll, they'll just toss him out there wherever he needs to go. Um, so kind of Swiss Army type of guy. And so if the team is without Joe Walker again this week and without possibly without uh, Ray Bolden as well, that could be a really good thing for, for Cameron Scarlett in terms of ensuring some floor for him. Um, so, yeah, I think he's a pretty good bet to score a touchdown if they get in tight, and he's a pretty good bet to catch three or four balls in the air as well. Gives him a nice floor-ceiling combo uh, that I don't think you know uh, Scott or Corbin either one have in that backfield. It was good that with the debut of Corbin, he did not take away from Scarlett. Scarlett's rates actually increased his snaps and overall backfield touch rate, whereas Scarlett's got split in half because that's the role Corbin took on. So yes, uh, I would be watching that as well as I'm going to wait and see if I hear anything else on Lenore, but we've already talked about it. I'm willing to go there depending on 
I'm just going to be opposite of the field for sure. I, I don't have any confidence in the play, and I don't mind fading or being overweight on him since it is DFS. So I'm going to wait and hear from the field. Let's move on for, to our final game, and that is the New Jersey Generals at the Philadelphia Stars. And there's big news out of Philadelphia, and I would like you to start there with their offense since Byron Scott did pop up as a DMP midweek. Yeah, he was a DNP on Wednesday, and it looks like he's listed as full for Thursday. So Good. we may have dodged a major bullet there with Brian Scott. Certainly something we want to keep in mind and definitely impacts if we don't find out more before lock on Saturday. Um, we may want to hedge a little bit there, at least give ourselves some outs in any lineup that contains Brian Scott. Uh, but, you know, luckily – you know, the, the generals give us somewhere to turn to um, there in that same game. Um, it, it may be a little bit tougher to get to the right quarterback in that situation because uh, we're not super excited about any of the generals quarterbacks. But either way, like I think Brian Scott is probably the slam dunk quarterback of the slate. To me, he's the guy that I want to go back to week after week after week at this point. Um, just the way Philadelphia is playing. Their fast pace, their run, for, uh, their pass first offense. That's just where I want to stack as many of my chips as possible. They're playing a completely, completely different brand of football compared to what everyone else in this league is doing. Um, you know, whether it's working or not, maybe a, a different story. They're one and one so far on the season. Tough game coming up here against the Generals, who look relatively competent across the ball. Um, but they're dropping back a ton. And so while I like Brian Scott and stacking around him with whatever pass catchers emerge off their mile long injury list, uh, the general's defense is also in play as well because the stars are not great at protecting Brian Scott and Brian Scott's got a tendency to you know, turn the ball over as well. So we're looking for sacks and turnovers. General's defense is set up nicely. To me, it's General's D, Breaker's D, and Mahler's D look like the three. I may just X out the other five teams from the player pool. I like how this thing's set up for all three of those squads. You talked about playing the Maulers last week as well, and that the Stars were guaranteed tons of dropbacks, and that was a very good look. I agree with you there. Uh, as for the Stars' passing game, I don't know if I necessarily want to play Byron Scott so much as I am going to make sure I'm on top of Run the Sims and their injury report before kickoff on Sunday morning because it looks like we can get an edge by figuring out their wide receivers. Like if two are out, we now have two instances where, like last week, Chris Rowland and Devin Gray were out, whereas week one, Maurice Alexander was out. And so we kind of already have the evidence of what will happen. It's just a matter of us staying on top of it. So I'm definitely going to make sure I stay on top of that. Also, do you have any interest? Would you play Paul Terry, for example, with Byron Scott? Or do you think his four targets, his command the backfield and carries as well, was that simply due because we got the rug pulled out of us with Matt Colburn and that he was not uh, inactive, but he was basically a healthy inactive? Yeah, and it kind of makes sense when she sort of step out of it and realize that the dude was clearly out there as an emergency body only. And that's because these rosters are so short. They can't just simply swap a guy in and out. Um, they have nobody to replace him with. So 
they needed Matt Colburn to be a break glass in case of emergency type of player because, frankly, there was nobody else left. And we saw the double rug pull with Colburn, and then Darnell Holland got injured on a kick return, uh, pulled a hamstring. And so we don't actually know whether we're going to get Holland or Colburn this week. Uh, Colburn's been full in back-to-back sessions, uh, and Holland has been limited in back-to-back sessions. So looks like Colburn is well on his way to returning back to action. And he's the guy I like playing out of that group anyway, um, a little more upside out of the backfield catching passes. And we know that's what the stars really like to do. They're both good players and both capable of putting up big points. I would love to see, um, Paul Terry inactive to really clear things up for us because I love both of those stars running backs. Um, I want as many stars in my lineups most of the time as I can get it. I think that's just kind of where I am at this point. I don't know if I'm being a fanboy of the stars or what at this point, but uh, they just, they're, they're playing so much differently that they're really filling up the stat sheets for multiple people all at the same time. So you could have Matt Colburn, you could have Jordan Sewell and Maurice Alexander all in the same lineup with Brian Scott and do perfectly fine. That was really, um, you know, almost a recipe for success last week. So, yeah, we want to certainly keep our eye on the injury report. Uh, Chris Rowland seems like a maybe. Maurice Alexander seems like a maybe. Devin Gray seems like a maybe. Um, you know, all three of those guys are major pieces of this offense. And so we got to get some clarity there. I'm going to sit and wait that one out because I do want pieces of Philadelphia's offense passing attack in particular, but yes, I'm going to sift through the injury report on Sunday morning. Also to your point week two, just last week, the stars did lead the league with an 80.7% pass rate. Uh, They have yet to drop below 68% pass rate in any of their games just yet. They only want to drop back in four wide receiver sets and spread it out entirely. What about on the other side of this matchup though? Is there anything that stands out to you for the generals offense, whether it be on the injury report or the way they've played the past two weeks? Yeah. uh, One thing that stands out is they just signed a new running back, Pete Guerrero. And so if they're signing him, um, this is a week after they dropped Mike Weber at running back. If they're signing Guerrero, I have a hard time seeing them send him to the inactive team or the practice squad. And if they end up with three running backs active, I'm not super interested in that situation at all. I'm not a total believer in the generals overall big picture much less when you start chopping up the pie there in that backfield three ways. Um, you know, I like Trey Williams. Uh, Darius Victor's not the type of guy I'm super interested in most weeks, but Trey Williams certainly is. Um, you know, but if there's three guys, that's tough. Uh, Randy Satterfield is on the injury report, did not practice yesterday with a hamstring injury. If that's the case, uh, we could see a bump for um, Alonzo Moore. Uh joining Cavante Turpin and Darius Shepard as the starting three wide set there. Um, Darius Shepard looked good though. I I don't know if you caught the generals game last week, but he looked fantastic. Um, He obviously was the uh, former Packers wide receiver and came in and dominated targets there in that offense. And if Satterfield's out, it's going to be even more targets going Shepard's way. Uh, He looks like maybe to me, the cheap man's Lance Lenore this week. Shepard also, big increase from week one when I believe he was on the injury report all the way up to kickoff. Uh, Mm -hmm. Ran around on just 16% of the dropbacks in week one, all the way up to 80%. Ran as many routes as Trey Williams, oddly enough, uh, in that week two game. And so definitely someone to keep an eye on. But 
to your point, it is spread out, especially if Jamon Moore, did you say he got ruled out or is he still limited and questionable? Uh, Jamon Moore is, well, he's currently on the practice squad uh, for one. So he would need a promotion, but he is listed as DNP the last two days. Okay. That's something to watch then. Um, But yeah, just given Trey Williams passing game usage, that's somewhere I wouldn't mind going. And then also more importantly, I think the takeaway is that even though we saw DeAndre Johnson play well in week one, his snap rate only increased by 3%. Like he only played 58% of the snaps ahead of Luis Perez. Luckily for us, it was on a showdown slate. It was on a Friday night. So we didn't have to worry about it for the main slate, which was three games last week. But for this one, whether it be, let's actually talk about him for two games. Like, is this a situation where you could see yourself playing DeAndre Johnson in two game slates over Byron Scott, who's going to be the most popular quarterback on Sunday. I wouldn't. That's a little too bold for me personally. Um, you know, I, I like the idea of using one of the two quarterbacks in a showdown format, but man, it's it's really tough to take those gambles on the classic slates, especially it'd be one thing if you felt like you really couldn't trust Brian Scott. Um, you know, you're certainly maybe not as worried about say Shea Patterson on the other side, or maybe even uh, you feel confident with the fate of Josh Love, but uh, you know, fading Brian Scott to me at this point, he looks like a pretty a reasonably high floor player unless he's to get hurt. Completely in agreement with you. Uh, any final thoughts on your major lean on both the Sunday slate and four game one? Yeah, I, I think we want to certainly target this Breakers-Stallions game as mm-hmm. well as the Philadelphia side of the uh, Philadelphia-New Jersey game with sprinkles of these other games mixed in. But uh, I like the idea of building around Brian Scott uh, again this week. Um I'll be doing that a lot, and he gives you the opportunity to correlate your lineups more than some of these other teams do. You know, while I like Jamar Smith for Birmingham, I also realize that it may be tougher for a player with his skill set to support as and in that offense to support as many correlated receivers as well. So the great thing about Brian Scott is that you know, if you get him right, you're going to automatically get like two other pieces of your lineup right as well. And that's a huge edge for us in DFS. We don't want to hit the uh, seven leg uncorrelated parlay. We want a nice, easy correlated parlay that sets up nice for us here. Um, and, and so to me, all eyes on Philadelphia once again. The best part about Philadelphia as well, and this is a final note, with my thoughts on the four game slate is that that is where our late swap opportunities come in handy. And it's already an underutilized strategy in NFL DFS, but I I scroll through all these lineups, right? Because in my five mans, my three mans, uh, especially I have to make sure that like I can get ahead in those tournaments. And so I'm always late swapping and I see how vastly like forgotten about it is, especially in USFL DFS. Just remember if you are not in the green, you got to give yourself a chance to at least make it. Like not only to win the tournament, but you got to try to get back. And so the salary, the 
outlook of a player having a higher projection, these things don't matter at all when those late swap opportunities come up. Last week especially, remember, if you had TJ Logan, knowing the rest of the field had TJ Logan since he was very obviously a top two running back on that slate, the wise individuals, people who even won tournaments I saw, went to Jordan Ellis instead to try to give them a chance, self-chance, and then you see Jordan Lo- uh, TJ Logan got injured. You have to make those decisions if there's a chance to get in the green. Yeah, I was uh, one of those people myself where I had a lot of um, had a lot of Logan heading into the late game. Luckily, I had him in the flex spot so I could uh, opt out of him and go to a different position. I went to Taewon Taylor, and um, Taewon had a good game, but not nearly enough for making up a lot of ground. But at least I gave myself a chance, right? Um, you know, I, I played a guy who's less than one percent owned, and it, you know, it turns out I didn't even need to go quite that deep. I could have gone with Jonathan Adams even he was something like 3% on like, so you don't have to go as galaxy brain as you might think uh, to, to get a little bit different. Jordan Ellis, a perfect example of a guy who wins theoretically when uh, something bad happens to the chalk player. So um, yeah, always be thinking through those edges and it's not only with the lineups that aren't men cashing you, you can, you may, I was actually focusing on the ones that were doing the best and I knew I was still trailing, drawing a little bit dead to first if I left things exactly the way they were, but felt pretty good about my men cash. So the, you know, what difference does it make to me if I finish, you know, 100th or 20th, you know, the, the payout is not going to be hugely different for me. So I want to give myself a chance for first. And so obviously always be trying to think of those angles and, and think about building your lineup so that it gets, uh, so that you give yourself continued opportunities to adjust to that new information throughout the course of the slate. Cause there are, you know, three natural pauses between all these games, you know, after the Saturday early game, after the Saturday late game, and after the Sunday early game, you get a chance to reevaluate things. And so, you know, kicking the can down the road, not playing players early, give yourself a chance to maybe uh, re-coordinate after that can be a lot of help. And since it does not go without saying, remember, running back in the flex, save the lone running back spot for your latest kickoff. Uh, I am a donkey in a couple lineups. I looked up on Saturday afternoon and thought, oh no, like I did the rookie mistake and playing so many that I put my early running back in the running back slot in the, in the running back slot. Yeah. And so now like I'm forced to play a certain position, uh, or vice versa, either way. I did it wrong. Yeah. Vice versa. versa. Either way I did it wrong. Make sure you leave yourself open in the flex spot. So with that, Justin, of course, everyone knows use the promo code four for four at run the Sims. If you want to stay up on the injury reports and the projections, Justin is consistently running through up to kickoff. That's going to give you 10% off of the site. Anything else before we part for week three DFS? That's it. Hop in these contests and fill them up so uh, you know we don't get shrunken down here in future weeks. We've got seven more weeks after this to keep going for USFL, so hop in there, guys. We stood strong from week two to week three. A little bit of a downgrade week one to week two, but this week we stood strong. We need to stand strong, if not grow it. That's what we need to do is hashtag grow it. So please join the USFL contest. We will be back next week, same time for week four talk. Good luck this week. 